Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Oh, and we're on air at City Limits. It's the um, it's the fifth Wednesday of the month this time, so we've got a fifth Wednesday and we've got... Uh, uh, no specific subject, but in fact we do have a specific subject. And um, uh, Mark uh, Allen's come woke up this morning off feeling well, so he won't be coming in. And he's pressing buttons so far with Lynn. I'm Kevin Healy. Lynn Drummond's over there. And she, in fact, Lynn, you've teed up our guest today. Where have we gone in? We've got two, actually, Kevin. Um, it's, quite a, it's a very interesting topic, of course. It's about age discrimination in the workforce, and it's not just the older people uh, this person, uh, Professor Taylor, is talking about. It's also the younger people. Uh, Philip Taylor is going to be our guest a little bit, little bit later by phone, and he's a professor of human resource management at Federation University Australia. He's also the director of the Australian, Australian Retirement Research Institute, and has done an awful lot of work on this discrimination issue in the last few years. Then why are you doing that? I'll pour a cup of tea so you can see yeah. it against the backdrop of a rain of a waterfall or something. <laughs> City <laughs> limits. City. Brought to us by the People's Oops. Committee. Yeah, there we are. And the second guest? Uh, and the second guest is Marilyn King, who in 2011 started up the um, Melbourne-based Willing Older Workers. She started it with her husband, Howard, um, when Howard was unable to find work and Marilyn was studying mature age unemployment in Australia. Willing Older Workers, or WOW as they call it, offers practical and emotional support to a lot of people who are suddenly out of work. So she'll be talking to us later in the program about that, about what is doing. Interesting, yeah. The, the Mitchell Institute in academia in the last week or so did a report about older people reaching retirement age and needing to keep working and the problems that's going to create, etc. So it will be a talk about that later. Yeah, that's a really interesting subject. Um, I, I just picked up this morning's financial review here just to have a look at and um, it uh, I, I knew, because I, I knew what it would do with, with the catastrophe in Queensland yesterday, uh, the, the, the and I, you know, I don't say it's because they do get them up there anyway, cyclones but the argument, there was an argument put up last night that they're going to be fewer but stronger because of climate change, because of the nature of, uh, of Queensland uh, but the Financial Review front page, Debbie deemed catastrophe as it rips across Queensland coast. And uh, we think, well, it's a catastrophe for all the people involved and people have lost things. But no, the insurance industry has declared it a catastrophe and that's the real problem for the Fin Review. The poor old insurance industry is going to cop it in them. So oh, yes. Are. Okay. Yes. So, so <laughs> Our heart naturally bleeds for them. Um, yes. And they'll be thinking up all sorts of ways this week and looking at every contract to make sure they can get out of it as little as possible. I would but, say uh, so, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there we are. Uh, this, is a, this is a sad story, though, also from Queensland. You might remember Clive Mensink. Um, you might have been away when he was in the news in the last couple of years, um, Lynn, yeah. but he was, he's Clive Palmer's nephew, and he, he ended up being the man running the company that hit the brick wall and owed money everywhere, including to its workers. And there's been several attempts to drag him before a court, the federal court, but he just hasn't turned up and they've finally now sent out a warrant for him for his arrest. But I think his excuse, I mean, you've got a feel for the man. Um, he, he says he, he can't get to court because he's travelling, 
he's, he's actually in Switzerland, I think it is at the moment, travelling in Switzerland. So he's obviously struggling along financially still. Um, he, he needed to, to travel to continue uh, to form a bond with his post-divorce girlfriend, um, so in that case, you've got a feel for him, haven't you? There he is trying to develop a relationship. He's gone to Switzerland to do it. And the bloody court wants him to face up to the fact that he might have got a bit of money mixed up with other people's. Well, fancy that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. Speaking of, um, speaking of those who aren't that well off, the latest one, I mean, this makes our government look absolutely absolutely benign when it comes to dealing with the poor and the homeless, including Robert Doyle starts to look good. Um, did you see Belarus, what they Belarus? There were, there were actually protests there at the weekend and um, 400 people were arrested at the protest. They were protesting over a new law that fines the unemployed. If you're unemployed for more than, I think it's three months, it doesn't say in the story here, but I think it's three months, you get fined $377, which is about a month's wage. Uh, it's called a, um, uh, well, they're calling, people are calling it a social parasites tax, and the government says it will uh, instill discipline in the work, in the work shy. Uh, so if you're out of work for more than three months over there, they fine you for being out of work. That's well, ridiculous. I mean, what about the long-term unemployed statistics, which are very, very realistic? No, well, sense. <laughs> well yeah. they better get a job. They better find themselves yeah, a job. Because it, would, it wouldn't open the way for employers to exploit drastically if you went in and said, look, I need this because I'm going to get fined next week. Can you put me on? And they would like, well, we can put you on. Of course we can. And there'd be no thought of exploitation in that situation, I wouldn't oh, have thought. Oh, it's just another yeah. hammer in the coffin of these poor buggers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of hammers in coffins, um, well, not quite coffins, probably just rotting possums in the bottom of the, the, uh, the, 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 the what used to be a forest, which is just now logs, um, this wonderful solution by Barnaby Joyce, old barnacle, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to, the, to the mill in Coote. I mean, we, we, there's two points here, the mill and Hazelwood in a week. Um, we, we said, as we said last week, you do need a transition program for the communities and the workers, but... Everyone seems to assume the public purse should pick up the cost, whereas I think the company should pick up the cost. I think if they want to drive their, those threatening, menacing-looking timber trucks uh, in front of someone's office, let's take it to the timber company, not, not Parliament House. But Definitely. But I'm sure everyone saw Barnacle's wonderful solution. You open up forests that are protected now and, 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 and are banned from logging. You open them up to logging. And you lift the threatened ban, the threatened species ban on the ring um, lead beater's possum, um, because, um, as Barnacle said, uh, said uh, it's uh, it's timber workers who are facing extinction. So there you are. So you you actually make 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 another species, and we've done lots of it since 1788. So what's another one? Um, <laughs> make them uh, extinct, tear down the forests, and you keep the jobs. You know, rather than think of some other oh. solution for the people down there, well, there must be other oh. solutions than that, I would have thought. There must be better ideas than that, I'm yeah. sure, from Barnacle's oh. Oh. No, not necessarily. No, no probably no, not. not. No, Barnacle. No. Right. Yeah. And just to add to that, uh, that the cheery program this morning, um, Tony Shepherd, who was head of the Business Council, um, or one of those business councils, and came out, and he did the report for Abbott and the Abbott government, the financial report that recommended cutting everything except taxes, or including taxes, in fact, on the rich, cut them as well, but cut welfare and, uh, you know, welfare's overdone. He did a, he's done a report for the Menzies Institute, Menzies Research Centre, which, of course, is a branch of the Liberal Party, literally a branch of the Liberal Party. 
And um, he says we... um, Welfare payments must be slashed and simplified and the nation's debt needs to be paid back and we only do that by slashing all across the board but also the the, the major cut to uh, business taxes must also go ahead. So you cut business taxes, you slash welfare and you address the debt. So Tony's still at it, he's good, isn't he? Oh, terrific, yeah. Just, yeah. And he always looks happy. Every time you see him he's got a big smile on his yeah, face recommending smiles. something all or other. great yeah. suggestions he's making, making him yeah. feel good. Yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, we all, we all feel that way. <laughs> um, now, I just want to... There was also an interesting item, because the Financial Review on, I think it was Monday... Uh, had a survey it had done. It was a, it was one. It was poll into the into the popularity of the government and everyone else. But they did a couple of sidebars as well in terms of asking questions, and what, what people thought about the proposal to cut the company tax rate. Uh, and the headline was that um, the majority the people actually support cutting corporate tax rates. But if you look at the actual figures, sixty seven percent of Liberal voters support it. But but then when you go to Labor voters and Greens voters, it's 34 and 22. So I'm not sure that warrants a headline that says people support it. I mean, you could argue that conservative voters support, the more conservative voters support it. But I don't think yeah, you could no, hide a headline. No, no, that's very, that's very misleading, actually. Is, is it yeah, what? Yes, anyway, yeah. that's that's the situation. But, I mean, it's not surprising that 67% of Liberal voters support no. cu- cutting well, taxes would, for themselves. They? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. you know, that did not come like a bolt no, from the blue, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, now, speaking of... Um, speaking of uh, industrial relations, which we actually weren't, but we're about to... Um, a bloke called Graham Watson, um, we mentioned him some months ago. He resigned from the uh, Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work No Longer Work Choices just looks like a commission. Uh, he was deputy president, but he, he, was, and he was an ex-Freehills lawyer. He was one of the really conservative people on that. Uh, and he resigned saying it was far too loaded toward workers and he couldn't achieve anything and employers were getting crucified by the commission, a terrible thing. He came out yesterday um, and had an article. He's, he's now resigned. And at the time, everyone said, well, look, the employers and the financial review all said we need more independent people like him to um, to, to be on the commission who have independent. And they, they even dredged up one decision over all his years there where he'd actually found for the workers in some minor case. And every other case, obviously, the workers had, didn't have a good case. Um, and uh, anyway, he's now come out and said we need to lo- slash wages to create employment. We might raise this with our guest later. We need to slash wages to create employment. We need to get rid of the no-one-will-be-worse-off test in, uh, in agreements because uh, these things are all crucifying workers and stopping people being employed. So good old Graham's back in the thing. And just to add to that, in the last week... The government's appointed three new people to the Fair Work Commission, one presumably to replace Graham. Um, And one of them is Peter Anderson. Now, people might remember Peter. He was the head of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, but he was also the senior advisor to Peter Reith when Pete brought in his uh, anti-union legislation in 1996. So the bloke who who advised Reith on that and who was head of the, uh, the... uh, one of the big chambers of profits in this country is now on the board of on the Fair Work Commission, so that should make it a lot fairer. And just to add to the fairness of it, 
A bloke called Alan Coleman, an employment partner with corporate law firm Cause Chambers Westgar, Cause Chamber Westgar, I don't know who knows the law, knows they're one of the big end of town legal companies and very much a, uh, again, as it says, an employer company, a corporate law firm. He's on it as well. And Sarah McKinnon, the head of workplace relations for the National Farmers Federation. So they're the three people. She replaces a former secretary of the ACTU. So they've put three absolutely pro-business people on the board, but this is on the Fair Work Commission, but this is the commission we're assured is totally loaded toward the workers. So there you are. Oh, yeah, great evidence of that. Yeah, yeah and it, well, indeed, the, one of the, the, those who they claim were so pro-worker were the ones who brought down the decision to cut slash penalty rates for low-paid workers. So imagine what would have happened if this lot had been on AEA. Well, enough said, the, yeah, the, yeah. The mind simply boggles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And as we predicted as well, um, once they, because once employers get something, like once, if they, when they, if they, even when they get these tax cuts they want, like the last lot they got, once they get them, they then start the, the progress process to get it going again. We still need tax cuts. We're still, it's still unfair. Every time they get a gain against workers, they then move on again. And as we said, once they got a cut to penalty rates, they'd be quickly be at it saying we need more cuts and more slashes till they get rid of them altogether. And it's already happened with a headline last Friday in the Fin Review, new push to trim Sunday penalties, etc. So, uh, and more industries are saying they need to be involved and etc., etc., etc. So it's wonderful, it's isn't it? around in circles, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And in the middle of all that, um, it's been pointed out the, um, the Financial Rights Legal Centre and the Consumers Federation of Australia, they came out last week and pointed out that last November the government got a report, and we reported on this program at the time, into payday lenders and people like Radio Rentals, which are effectively the same sort of thing, and their exorbitant interest rates. In fact, it's been pointed out um, that one uh, they found some people paid $3,000 for a $345 clothes dryer with interest rates equivalent to 884%. And there were lots of recommendations about um, a maximum the maximum interest rates and uh, and payments couldn't be in excess of a certain percentage of person's income, etc., etc. And they, they point out that the federal government has done absolutely nothing about it. It, it announced it last November, it said it would do something, but as yet absolutely nothing and there's no signs of it doing anything, so they're screaming for the government to do something because people are being ripped off at a great rate by these people. Oh, so. we won't hold our breath yeah, about the government doing something. Yeah, no, else. no, it, it does it about other things, but, um, but not that. Is, no, it's too hard. But even when it says it's doing something, like last, twice in the past couple of weeks, when when that report came out about batteries and how you, how, and it was an American bloke, the bloke, the test or his name is bloke, who came out and talked about uh, uh, being able to put batteries in in a hundred days or whatever in South Australia to make the place and Fraser then, or not Fraser, Turnbull then um, rang him and chatted to him and I heard one of the ministers say we have taken the lead on this because he rang a bloke and talked to him and suddenly we've taken the national lead, the Labor Party's doing nothing and similarly this week they've now called an inquiry into electricity pricing after getting a report that we've been gouged, we've been ripped off uh, so they've called an inquiry which will report back sometime next year and after that who knows what will happen and already they're saying we are taking the lead, the Labor Party is doing nothing, all they talk about is renewables etc. Uh, it seems to me that taking the lead is, uh, 
is doing virtually nothing. Yeah. Yes, it's a case of many, in many cases too, what's happening lately. Like... Yeah, so, and of course, as we keep saying, uh, no, they, well, perhaps they should mention that maybe if it went back into public hands, we wouldn't have such high prices and everything would be coordinated properly. And, uh, mm. and uh, yeah. But of course it was done for the benefits of competition. We were promised it was going to be much lower prices so we can, we can but boggle at what they'd be like if they were still in public hands, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. no, it goes on and on. Andy's nodding his head. He must agree with that. Basis. Yes. Look, let's take a break and let's get our first guest on the line and um, we'll talk about employment. CR presents a great night of entertainment at Bella Union, Thursday the 27th of April. Jonathan Alley will MC a stellar lineup, including... 3CR DJs Kate and Susie spinning tracks for a lazy Thursday night. Fiona Scott Norman's one-woman show The Needle and the Damage Done. Ian McFarlane's book launch of the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop Music. And an unleashed version of Super Flutie's free association radio show with Clem Basto, Casey Bonetto, Scott Edgar and Christos Chorkas. That's Saturday the 27th Thursday, of... Thursday the <gasps> 27th of April, Bella Union at Trades Hall. Doors open at 6.30. For tickets, go to bellaunion.com.au or at the door if not sold out. This is a 3CR benefit. So see you there. Three CR presents an afternoon of great music at the Northcote Social Club on Sunday, 30th of April. Ekranoplans, a bunch of hard rocking psychedelic Soviet sympathisers. Winter Sun, who swing from dirty ass blues to bittersweet ballads. Plus BJ Morizonkel, who's a weirdo composer and one man band who combines cartoon music and depressed cowboy pop songs. The Northcote Social Club, High Street Northcote, on Sunday 30th of April. Doors open at 1.30. Pre-sale discounted tickets at northcotesocialclub.com. Show your love for 3CR and support the musicians who support 3CR. Are you agitated? Are you agitated? Are you agitated yet? Hello, Philip. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good morning to you. It's Lynn Drummond here. Hello, Lynn. I uh, have um, Kevin Healy in the studio. Thank you Hi, as Kevin. well, who presents the program. Thanks very much for being on the program. You're welcome. Um, just, uh, I did introduce you briefly at the beginning of the program to say that you're Professor of Human Resource Management at Federation University of Australia. Yep. And it's been about 30 years or more that you've been involved in researching issues of ageing and work. Um, is that and discrimination in, in workforces? Is that correct, or can you give me a little bit of your background? Um, since 1989, so it's around 30 years. Okay. Um, yes, we'd like to know a little bit what the research that you have undertaken that's relating to not only discrimination against um, older workers, but I believe you've also found there's discrimination against youth as well. Yes, well, I mean, it's difficult to encapsulate 30 years of, of work into a few sentences, but I've done a lot of research that is considering the um, attitudes and behaviours of older people regarding uh, work and retirement. I've also done a lot of work that's concerned with employer attitudes and practices towards older people, and I have a, a long-standing interest in what 
public policy should look like if we're going to tackle issues of age discrimination in the labour market. And what's the, what's the most significant part of your findings of, of late? Because usually when we talk about age discrimination fairly generally, it's often, tar- it's often targeting older workers. But you have some rather different views on that? Well, I think the, case, the, the evidence, it, it, it's, not, it's not only my evidence. It's evidence from, from other studies. But we certainly find evidence of older people not just being victims of age discrimination but being perpetrators of um, ageism and age discrimination, not only to um, uh, younger workers, but also to older workers as well. I think it's true to say that that there is a lot of ageism in our society, but, that, but I, I don't agree that it's primarily directed at older people. I think age discrimination manifests acro- across the age range. I think it's very important that we... we consider young people in all of this as well. A, 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 British, a recent British study from 2012 found that young, young people were twice as likely to report age discrimination as older people. What, what are the, some of the examples that they gave of discrimination? This was, a, this was a, um, a, a study where they just asked people whether they'd experienced um, age prejudice, so they weren't giving specific examples. But, but certainly in our, our, our own work... Um, younger people um, just viewed as um, not as good as us, not as experienced as us. When we, when we came into our particular occupation, um, uh, the training was much more rigorous. Now it's, now it's rather easier. And we also have examples of, of, of bullying and hazing of, of, of workers, so-called hazing of workers. So there is a... I, I think we need to... When we're thinking about age and work... It, we shouldn't just think about about older workers, however so defined. What do you mean by hazing? Well, I mean, there's, there's bullying and hazing, there's, there's uh, mistreatment, particularly of young men coming into workplaces, the uh, initiation rituals and so on that uh, sometimes young men undergo, those kinds of things. And our research indicates that to a large extent this, this, these behaviours are directed at young men, not exclusively, but particularly at young men. Is there any particular industry that's practicing that? Well, I think generally male-dominated sectors. I would say I, um, I would infer from our research. Again, again, some of our research is is um, based on surveys, uh, quantitative surveys, where we ask people, "Have you experienced um, discrimination?" Rather than asking them to point to specific examples. You also have mentioned that um, you believe that age discrimination is often more prevalent at the recruitment stage than within the workforce. Can you just expand yeah, on that? Yeah, research it? seems to indicate that it's more likely to be when people are looking for a job than when they're in job when they're in a job. It doesn't mean that they that that doesn't occur. But it's more likely, it seems, that it's at, at, at the phase of looking for for work. And that, um, Australian studies certainly point us in that direction. So I think if we're going to act, that's a that's a key area where we should be acting to to try and undo age discrimination at that point. Indeed, um, Philip, there was a report from the Mitchell Institute in the last week or two. Um, which said a large proportion of young people engage in unpaid work just to get a foot in the door, which makes it harder for those who cannot afford to work for free. Um, does this situation lead to a lot of exploitation of young workers? 
Yeah, well, I think that's fine. I think other research that I'm familiar with would indicate that. Um, the, um, again, a British example, only, only recently of interns um, being paid in sandwiches, um, not actually being paid in cash terms. And um, that particular uh, retailer, uh, under pressure, reversed that decision. So I think it's, it's out there and it's real. I don't for one moment believe that age discrimination um, doesn't impact older workers. I would stress that point. It's important to say that. But I think if we're going to tackle the issue, these issues, we need to think much more broadly. Yes. And, and well, um, also, of course, the, in the past um, couple of weeks, the government has actually put a ban on the uh, junk food places in particular importing um, four, five, seven workers. Uh, and this, you know, this seems quite strange. It was allowed, actually, it was shortened, it was shortened as minister who allowed it to happen. But, um, but the, the McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, the usual, the usual suspects, uh, have been employing lots of overseas four, five, seven workers when one would have thought that's an area where there's plenty of people available for work here. Well, there are plenty of people available for work. I mean, studies indicate that. Um, so there are um, there is a, um, a, a ready, a willing and an able workforce in Australia. So, so um, what we need to do is to equip them to do those jobs that are available, whether they be in um, fast food retailing or anywhere. Um, certainly as far as older workers go, we know that... Um, hip, Here's an example. We're often told that older workers are, are exp experienced. There are programs like Experience Pays in Queensland and so on. Um, the issue is, though, that many older workers are, are not experienced and they're not up to date. And we need to do much more, I think, to support those people in terms of reskilling, but also in, in um, good, solid careers advice so they can make the right decisions. So we throw terms around like experienced and we also say that older workers are more reliable and they're more loyal and so on and these sorts of things. I think that's just pure ageism. That's ageism in its purest form. What is to say that older workers are necessarily more experienced or more loyal or more reliable? Um, that research doesn't really exist. And in fact, there's International research indicates that um, older and younger workers, their performance levels are approximately the same. So we need to be very careful in how we talk about these sorts of issues. Yeah. Is there also a, um, we're talking about the young and the old, is there also any problem for those in the middle of all that? Well, that's a good point. The research generally indicates that so-called prime age workers, however so defined, those between uh, around 35 and 50 are, are, are best off in labour market terms. And our own research indicates that they're less likely to report experiences of discrimination. But, you know, the, the, there are a whole range of issues here. So, you know, let's think about women returning to work who might want to build careers and so on. Um, maybe they, they, they face disadvantage at an earlier age. It's, it's complicated. I think my general point is that we shouldn't um, wrap things up in simplistic statements about young or old and things like this. It's, it's, it's much more complicated than this, unfortunately. 
So it brings me to a point um, that you've said in one of your reports, many reports that you've done, about singling out, for instance, older people. If you single out older people for a specific um, reason for discrimination, does this perversely make their situation worse? And instead, yep. you have advocated perhaps a policy for people of all ages, which acknowledges that while there may be some differences, needs will overlap to such an extent. There's little point in developing schemes for this or that arbitrary age group. Could you just tell us a bit more yeah, about I that mean, view? Yeah, that, that, I I believe this to be so. Let's take as an example um, the uh, restart wage subsidy, which tar- it targets older people. And um, the Abbott Terminal government and the Rudd-Gillard government have both had variations of a wage subsidy that targets older people. So employers who recruit a mature age worker are given a subsidy. Now, on the face of it, that sounds good, but the the, the problem for me with that sort of program is that the risk is it stigmatises older people. It says to employers that older people, that they're a problem group, and in order for you to employ them, we're going to have to pay you. And I think that sends out entirely the wrong message about about older workers. And we know from uh, what, what limited evidence that I've been able to accumulate, take up of those programs by employers is, is, is extremely low. Um, the Abbott-Turnbull variation of the scheme, it was originally proposed that they would, they would, there'd be 32,000 placements. They've got nowhere near that. So I think those kinds of programs are are a mistake, and I don't think we should go there. And as I say, I think that these the needs of younger and older workers overlap to such a great extent that this, there's no reason why they shouldn't be undertaking the same kinds of programs. So, and I think it actually benefits older people. Yeah, and and well, just looking also at um, at the question of, of subsidies, etc. Retraining workers has been one of the norms what's been put up ever since almost the accord, I think. They've talked about no <laughs> workers need retraining. Now, this usually means retraining to what capitalism currently says it demands, but recently we've had the example of uh, the mining boom where people were told to retrain themselves to go across and be involved in the mining boom, which by the time they would have got trained had collapsed. So there are real problems with this, aren't there? Yeah, look, I think... Um this is a perennial issue. You're right. I mean, it's it's, it's always a we, we need to, we do need to make lifelong learning a reality and not rhetoric. Um, lifelong learning has been spoken about ever since I've started researching in this area around 30 years ago. Most um, training and, and skilling you get when you're young. That's a fact, um, and then it dwindles over a life course. We need to we need to make this um, this real. Um, we also need to support workers, I believe, who aren't, for instance, going to make it to 70. You'll recall Joe Hockey talked about raising the age pension age mm. to 70. Mm. Um, I, that, for me, is, is realisable for some of us, it, um, some of us in white-collar uh, white occupations, but many people are going to get nowhere near that. And so we need to be investing in people's skills. We need to um, if they're carrying chronic health conditions, we need to think about what to do with them. And maybe there is some dignity in early retirement. So being told that you're at the age of 58 or 59 when you're sick, that you'll have to go on until you're 70, 
I think that's that that's the wrong message. I think we need to be supporting people into work, but if they're not going to make it, give them the opportunity to go out gracefully. So I do think that training is important. I think that careers that careers advice is also um, overlooked. It's not spoken about. We talk about training, but not careers advice. We need to give that to to older people as well who have been out of the job market, you know, for 30, 40 years and suddenly find themselves needing to look for work. Do you think sometimes uh, that is the, it's, uh, I mean, something that the this employee, if you like, or the person that's been in a long-term career has to take responsibility for having their own, for upgrading their own skills and not just relying on perhaps government practices or etc. I mean, there's a lot of people that I'm aware of or in my course of my career that, you know, they've stagnated, if you like, to a certain point in long in careers long-term in the same spot but have never bothered to try and get any upgrading of skills. I think, I think, yes, to an extent, I think that is that is true. But I would say that society has never expected people to to reskill and retool. Many people to reskill and retool. Um, most training we get, they call it front loaded. What that means is you get it when you're young, and then the old idea was that that training would see you through for the next forty years, and. People have um, are struggling to come to terms with the fact that that, that those skills um, are atrophying now. Um, look at your own profession. Look at the media, for instance, with with um, many people losing jobs um, um, in the media due to technological change. So people weren't expecting this to happen to them, and suddenly it's upon them. So I think we do need to provide some support. It doesn't mean that. Um, People shouldn't be taking responsibility for their own careers, but people were never expecting to have to retool over a working life. So I do think some support is necessary. One of the problems is obviously that young people now, and also young people, older people now, are retiring and not necessarily owning their own homes, increasingly. Uh, and therefore, if they're particularly in the private rental market, they can do little. They really need to keep working to uh, yep. to be able to, to survive, essentially. Yeah, um, I think that's very true. And and we we know from um, my, my research that 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 can be a real struggle for people. So it's said it's said that um, work is good for you. And <laughs> in my field, there's a lot of literature which says that working longer is a good thing. And in principle, I agree with that. But my research indicates that often people returning to work after they've retired, it's, it's not a happy experience. They're doing it because they have to, not because they want to. And their psychological health suffers as a consequence. So it's, it, look, I keep coming back to the point that it's, it's a really very complicated issue. And simplistic solutions and I'm afraid we see a lot of those in public policy in this field like schemes for this age group or let's all work to 70 they're just not sufficient we need to be much more sophisticated in how we approach this this whole issue many people will want to work on and value working and I applaud that but there are many people for whom working longer is going to be a real struggle and we we need to offer them solutions Thank you very much for that, Philip. It was very good to talk to you. Thank, thank you. you. We're going to have to cut it short now, but thank you very much. Thank you. You're, right. thank you. You're listening to 3CR Radio. 
3CR are selling kefir Palestinian starves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Marilyn. Thanks for coming on the program. Um, You're with me, Lynn Drummond and Kevin Healy, and I'd like to introduce Marilyn King, who is the founder of the Melbourne-based Willing Older Workers Organisation, which I referred to earlier in the program. And I'd like to ask Marilyn exactly what she does with her organisation. It's the only one of its kind, I understand, Marilyn. Uh, yes, we, we help people who are over 50 and unemployed or underemployed, and we provide practical assistance. And that includes food parcels, um, items, the household items, clothing, anything that someone needs, we will we'll help them with it. Why did you start the organisation? Or how did you start it, I should also ask. <laughs> uh, circumstances. My, my husband lost, was fired and he was 62 and when he was fired we lost the company car the house everything that was was available and we decided to move back to Melbourne where our children were living my husband thought he would get work very quickly he was a mechanical fitter and I decided at the age of 60 to go back to full-time study after two and a bit years Howard was still unemployed and it affected his emotional health because we were down to five we had an investment property so we couldn't he couldn't get any assistance from Centrelink and we were down to five weeks of mortgage payments and we had three mortgages and we became desperate and we decided if we were in that boat there must be many others and that's how well started and you started about five years ago is that right and I believe you've won various awards for this. <laughs> we have. We've won uh, yeah, heaps of awards. Um, but we don't do it for the awards. We do it because people need help. And the awards come as a byproduct of people that we have helped nominating us. So, it, yeah. Can you give us some examples of the people that you are working with? Currently, we have people who are who don't who are unemployed, don't receive any government assistance. Um, several of them are like us, who have used their private home as collateral to either start up a small business or buy an investment property. And when that's long gone, they they are still asset tested. Their private home is deemed to be a business um, by Centrelink, so they don't get any benefits. We have people who are on disability pensions, age, on people on age pensions, 
And more and more, we're being asked by younger unemployed people if they can get assistance because a lot of the charities are full up. They People apply and they're being told, well, look, you know, sorry, and being referred over from... So the way we help those is we ask them to come and help as a volunteer so that they can then get a little bit of... We can take on a few volunteers, but the situation is just becoming worse and we do despair. Mm. You you talk about um, willing workers but I guess there's also unwilling workers I would have thought out there in society and um, uh, just for people older people, we raised this with our previous guests but older people uh, are increasingly getting to retirement age where they don't actually own a house at all, Uh, they're either still paying a mortgage or they're in private rental at that point they they become, in many ways, unwilling workers. They have no choice but to try to find workers. Is that something you address? Um, well, we in our our membership, we don't have any unwilling workers. We have people who really, really want to work. They would be, I mean, time and again, I hear people say, even if I could just have one or two days a week work, you know, they want to work because they have a very strong work ethic and... I I also find amongst the young people that come in as volunteers with us, they're really keen to get work. And we, we lose, in inverted commas, people to run our food program and our general, you know, resume support and that because our people are actively looking for work and we all rejoice when they get work, but then we have to find drivers and we have to find more people. So... I don't believe that amongst our group we have anyone that doesn't want to work. They are desperately looking for work. And indeed, I mean, as people, I suppose at any age, but certainly older people, if they're going into retirement, as as someone pointed out at one of the heads of one of the big super funds in a speech last week said, I think we're all going to be engaged with part-time work in the long haul to keep ourselves mentally, physically and emotionally active. And those latter points are pretty important, aren't they? They are. And our... We, when people join us and contact us, and, and people, people who are older don't ask for assistance until they're right at the bottom of their savings and they are at the point of, you know, where they've actually thought about suiciding because they can't see that they're going to get out of the debt that they're in. They, I mean, a common thread is that they're... When, that, when you lose your job, you, lose, you don't only lose the wage, you lose your network. You can't afford to go out for the after-work drink or you can't afford to meet on a weekend for a coffee. All of those common, acceptable practices when you are employed just go out. And one of the things that, that WOW does is, wow, I mean, initially WOW formed... We were going to just be a coffee group. We were going to be a group of people getting together to give that moral and social support, but we realised there was a greater need than that. But our, we, you do. You, I mean, social beings. <laughs> very few, very few people are hermits. You know, they want to be able to do. And a large percentage of our people have volunteered have been in paid work, but also done volunteering with everything from the SES, you know, to charities, to to even just being an unofficial volunteer in the neighbourhood, helping people. And when they don't have that wage, 
slowly they can't afford to pay the fuel to go and take their neighbour to the shop. They can't afford to have the fuel to do this or to do that that they used to do and that takes away a very vital part of their life. Superannuation was <clears throat> was supposed to when it came in to solve these problems of of, um, of financial problems in older age. But uh, are we talking about a generation that hasn't yet built up enough superannuation in the time available to to be able to be self reliant? And that's the a common thread as well. We, you know, super wasn't in when I was started work, and I had. I did take time out to have my children, as a lot of women did, and we weren't didn't want to be, um, you know, have latchkey kids. And when I got back into the workforce, I found it incredibly difficult. Um, and when I was retirement age, well, I had very little super. A lot of our members, even you know, our male members, don't have a lot of super, and it's it's difficult. It is a challenge to exist on your savings and when you have exhausted those savings and I mean where do you go what do you do you have to finally bite the bullet and one gentleman said I had to swallow my pride and ask you guys for help and that is a really sad thing for someone to have to do because dignity is a precious commodity is it, um, Marilyn, WOW believes in encouraging employers to implement a mentoring program, for instance, by employing mature age and a younger worker in a job-sharing capacity. They can have this two-way share of vital skills. Are any employers actually doing this that you're aware of? And We have a few small businesses that have done it and have found it works wonderfully. Um, Sadly, they, while they will support and talk amongst their, you know, their peers about how good it is, they don't want to go public because they don't have, being a small business, they just don't have the time to deal with then all the resulting, you know, paperwork that would, you know, and media and all the other that, stuff that would come out of it. But if you have someone working a couple of days a week, and another person working a couple of days a week and they have one day of joint work, it, it does work. And we, we have found it works in a, a volunteering capacity. And we have, we have a group of young people that are being matched with, you know, paired up with the older volunteers and running the food program. And it's the most beautiful thing to see an older person and a younger person sharing their life experiences, sharing their skills. And I recommend, I think the government should have in place policies so that people can, companies can do that. The small business owners that have contacted us and sort of, you know, got some, got information and through us and started it, what they find is that if they've got two employees, then they have extra costs relating to, you know, their insurances. And so if the system was set up so that, and this came from a small business owner, if the system was set up so that the job, the actual job was insured under work safe or work cover or whatever, you know, state you're in, 
rather than the employee and the employees having to be done that way. And if the taxation was set up so that having a job shared situation was looked upon as having one employee, this gentleman who's got five five sort of positions and so he's got three of those positions are in a job share, he said, I'd take on more people tomorrow. But it's the costs associated with mentoring. So we have for years a government who has subsidised youth wages and it wasn't monitored. And we had com- we had a company director tell us that their company policy, and he said, I didn't make this policy, but this is what happens. We employ young people till the subsidised wage runs out. That's, you know, keep them on a couple of months. Then they, we fire, we, you know, and his words were, we let them go. And then we employ someone else. He said, I have brought it up at board meetings. It is company policy. I can't change it. Please, he asked us to please lobby to change it. So instead of having that constant double dipping, triple dipping, why doesn't our government have a policy where mature age and younger people can work together and the company is given the help to allow that to happen and keep that working. It does need to change because those sort of structures are just open for total exploitation of workers, of course, and that's what happens. It's been that way for a long time and we we would like to see it changed. Mm. And we've been lobbying the government for many years to have a really full open inquiry into the whole employment assistance program. So the youth... The youth allowance, it's segmented at the moment. We we manage to get the government's ear and have an incentive brought into for companies to employ a mature age person. They wouldn't listen to us. They said, oh, no, we can't do it as a mentoring, but, you know, maybe we could do it for mature age. Well, it's too segmented. Assistance for a company to employ a young person. Assistance for a company to employ a mature age person and keep them on for... I think it currently is two years. Why don't they scrap that, review it, and then have the mentoring program become the official way of of people working and getting our unemployment level down? And most people do want to work. And when I see comments about, <laughs> when I see some, you know, news article, paper article, or media coverage in any form of of dull bludgers, my heart wrenches because. The people that we work with really do want help. And I should stress, WOW doesn't have any waged employees. We don't get funding. We're all volunteers. We do this because we love helping people and we want... I mean, my goal is that WOW does not exist, that the world will wake up, mature age people will all be able to get the work that they want. Age pensioners won't be penalised to the point that they're out there trying to get work because they can't afford to live on their age pension and the world will be more equal and then I can everyone that works with WOW can just go and do what we'd like to do which in our other life I'd like to add, Marilyn, that I've just done a fair... As you've probably been aware, because we've talked in the past, with, I was doing an article about this particular, some of these issues, 
um, that a lot of other countries, including China, interestingly, and Japan, do have mentoring programs like you've mentioned. And it would be useful for you know, some research to be put forward about that, to perhaps when you're lobbying the government about how it works in other countries. Just a thought. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Australia, I was bo- I'm a born and bred Australian. I should, you know, sort of declare that. Um, Australia does in many ways, when it comes to the assisting people who through that no follow their own get down, you know, and fall through the crack in the, the safety net or people who end up unemployed, we're kind of behind several places. And it would be wonderful to see to see governments stepping up and listening and listen to the people. People have ideas and a lot of them are jolly good. <laughs> Certainly are. Yeah, and we're seeing, of course, in in the workforce itself, I mean, in the last 12 months, the latest figures from the Bureau of Statistics show that, in fact, 86% of jobs created in the past 12 months were part-time or casual, and full-time work dropped by 21,200. So they're the sort of figures that really make it even more difficult for people to get into work, aren't they? It is. We have a woman who is in her... As she said, in her late fifties, she refers to herself, and she was a single parent. And when the government changed the single parent pension over to, and she was working, so, but then the government, she, the company was, you know, bought out by an overseas company, and everything moved overseas. She was unemployed. She came to us to get some help with the resume, and and she temporarily was on the single parent pension and then at a time when it then changed to um onto new start they took away the, the single parent pension put it into people mm. into the new new start yeah. stream because they'd be able to get work and she was on that for a short time she came to me one day in tears and said i feel this is so degrading i feel humiliated i have just sat in a job search agency and the person, the young person who was assigned to her said that she mustn't be looking for work because, you know, she'd been unemployed for five months and therefore, you know, really, you weren't doing, doing enough to try and find work. And she had given him a list of all the companies that she'd applied to. She is now doing three jobs in order to basically keep her head above water. She works for two separate aged care companies and she's not trained, so she's doing the untrained aged care and she does a janitorial job just so Mm. she could get her son through school and through university. And it's it's one of those... In one way, it's a wonderful story because her son has now done his uni and he's working, but his mum has wore herself out in that time she was an admin trainer. She had run a major, major company's office for a long time before it was taken off and done overseas. You know, everything went overseas. So it is casualisation of the workforce, and that's scary because you really can't... I mean, she, she doesn't get holiday pay. She doesn't get sick pay. Mm. Came, she came in one day, she had the flu, and she said... Um, she, you know, called and she said, "I feel like I'm, I'm getting, I'm coming down with something." So she, she went up. She was off work for two weeks with no income. Because-
because she wouldn't go to work while she was sick because she didn't want to inflict it on the, the aged people that she would be looking after and cleaning for. I have to, we're kind of um, running out of time now, Marilyn. Thank you. But it's been fantastic to have you on the program. Thank and you thank very you much. very much for being here with us today. Thank you, and may everyone get find the work that they desperately want. Well, just want. to finish up, Marilyn, I guess, how can people get in contact with your group? We should let that one know. We have a website and we have a Facebook page, and they can link up with us through that, or they can contact us on 0477 479 Okay, look, we'll just give it one second. People have now got the pens in their hands. Repeat that phone number again. 0477 479-191. Okay, look, thanks for your time this morning. It's been great talking to you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Right. Thank you. Bye. Well, there we are. Um, 9.57. And we've only got one clock, so we can't work it. When we had two clocks, they were always at a different time. <laughs> so we'll assume 9.57's close enough at this stage. Lynn, that was interesting stuff this morning. Oh, I hope the listeners really found that very helpful too mm. as well. And thanks for that. And thanks them for coming on. It was really, really good. Yeah, it's um, because at both ends of the scale, in fact, there was that report of the superannuation one last week about older people and then this Mitchell report, which was a university report about young people and and needing to do different things to get into school. But So it keeps going. But, of course, we were told that originally we were told that technology would mean we'd all have to do a lot less work and a lot more leisure time and uh, what we really need I guess is for that to work and have a livable wage for everybody um, rather than having to rely on employers and capitalism to uh, keep us going but that's, that's, what, yeah. that's another that's for well, that's not another issue it's the issue I guess I guess is why a lot of people have to start their own businesses too so that's increasing whatever, too whatever, they yeah. try and trust themselves but thanks very much everybody Okay, um, and we've got transport next week. Tell people that, Lynn. We've got transport oh yes, next we've got week. Transport and next week. Thank Andy yes. for helping you, and thank you for helping I'm you. I'm very grateful to Andy for helping with the panelling as well. As <laughs> thank you very much, everybody.